This is how you make your elected representatives, those are elected employees, they work for you. And if you're not sending emails, you're not making phone calls, you're not knocking on the door of your commissioners, you're wrong. You have to get their attention. That was a group of protesters outside of Burns, Oregon, at just the beginning of what would become a big national story this month. Welcome to the very first episode of an occasional series we're calling West Obsessed. I'm your host, Brian Calvert, and I'm the managing editor at High Country News in Paonia, Colorado. The aim of this series is to talk about big stories from the American West with the writers and editors of High Country News to help explain why we find them so interesting and sort of get at the bigger picture behind them. So I'm here today with Tay Wiles, our online editor. Hi there. And Brooke Warren, our associate designer. Hi. So we've had a pretty crazy week at High Country News thanks to uh, a small group of armed men and their decision to occupy a federal wildlife refuge. I'm talking, of course, about Almond and Ryan Bundy, the sons of Nevada scofflaw rancher Cliven Bundy, and a few other militia types taking over the Mollier National Wildlife Refuge in southeastern Oregon. It so happens that we've had our eyes on these guys and others like them for quite a while, like for decades. They're part of a bigger anti-federal movement that has been called the Sagebrush Rebellion, which is essentially a movement that wants to take big pieces of public land away from the federal government so that it can be controlled by locals. We'll get into why you can't really take public land that way in a second, but first, Tay, can you just tell us who these guys are, what they're up to right now, and why they're getting so much attention? Sure. So the the occupiers at Malheur right now are, of course, led by Almon Bundy, as you said, the son of Cliven Bundy, the rancher from Nevada. He's joined by his brother, Ryan Bundy, also Ryan Payne, a militiaman from Montana, and Lavoie Finnicum, who has been quite vocal at Malheur. Um, he is a rancher from Arizona. Um, and then there are at least a few dozen others there right now. So they have occupied Malheur Refuge and they, as you said, are part of the Sagebrush Rebellion, which means that their hope, their their aim is to get the federal government to relinquish their lands, um, as they say, to let local people manage their own natural resources. Um, so that means r- ranchers, miners, loggers continue managing their own resources. Right. So in other words, um, you wouldn't really have the Bureau of Land Management or the Forest Service managing forests or sort of these sagebrush areas, but you'd have the people who live on them uh, manage them. That's kind of the idea behind it. But uh, in this particular case, this is a very fringy edge to that to that movement. Right. This is sort of the extreme edge of that movement. And, and part of what's interesting about the situation right now is that they're a splinter group from uh, the militia groups, um, the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, these constitutionalists who came to Burns, Oregon, in order to stand up against the federal government. But Amon Bundy and these others at the, at the refuge are definitely the extreme edge. Right. So they're a part of a larger movement. They were a part of a larger protest even in Oregon over a kind of convoluted case involving a couple of ranchers from Harney County, Oregon. Tell us about them. So the Hammonds, uh, Dwight Hammond and Stephen Hammond, father and son, uh, cattle ranchers um, in this area have actually been, they have been battling the Bureau of Land Management and the federal government at large for um, at least since 1994 when High Country News first covered them. Uh, the, the, the battles that they were originally in were about grazing and water rights on the edge of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge. But more recent disputes with the Bureau of Land Management have been over arson. They set a couple of fires in 2001 and 2006 um, in order to, as they say, protect their their cattle and their cattle feed. 
So they originally were sentenced to arson on federal lands in 2012, and they served abbreviated sentences. Stephen Hammond served a year, and Dwight Hammond served three months. They've since, uh, this past fall, been resentenced to five years each, and that's because the minimum sentence for this law was five years, and the ju- and the judge, Judge Hogan, back in 2012, decided that that was too harsh. And the Oregon U.S. attorney this past fall resentenced them because he wanted to give them the minimum sentence of five years. So um, Amon Bundy saw them as a reflection of the larger movement and also as a kindred spirit because he and his own family have their own uh, similar disputes with the Bureau of Land Management over grazing rights. So, yeah. So in other words, this is crazy. There were two people who set some fires five years apart, got sentenced, had to get sort of resentenced, and that stirred up the ire of the locals, and that brought in the Bundys from afar. And so you had this protest. But what I like about this story is that we knew about it way ahead of time, did not really see it as like this explosive national story. But because we had our associate designer, Brooke, Brooke Warren, traveling in the area, basically on vacation... Yeah, I was on vacation. How was your vacation? It was a great vacation. (laughs) It was a very intense vacation, let me put it that way. Yeah. Well, yeah, so we asked Brooke to just kind of stop by this protest that was happening about these ranchers. So there's this obscure case in these ranchers, and there's going to be some people rallying there. And so Brooke's driving through the area. So, hey, Brooke, why don't you stop and take pictures? Tell us what happened as you sort of like walked through that protest over the Hammonds. Well, the protest obviously sparked a lot of interest in a lot of people from around the West. People came from Arizona, Montana, Idaho, um, farther parts of Oregon to come to protest what had been the imprisonment of the Hammonds. There was, by some accounts, about 300 people there from all over the West um, to support the Hammonds and basically protest their imprisonment. But when I was there, they they stopped at uh, Dwight Hammond's home to give him their condolences. And what Dwight said was, this is a very humbling experience and I'm really grateful for this, but this is bigger than my issue. Like it's a bigger, it's a bigger issue. And so that is kind of like the first thing that said, okay, it's not just about the Hammonds. It's actually about this bigger movement. It's about this bigger problem that a lot of these people that describe themselves as patriots have with the federal government and kind of land management. Um, so I went through the protest, and while I was there, I heard that they were having a, a town hall meeting at the fairgrounds there in Burns. It's always at the fairgrounds. <laughs> it's always at the fairgrounds, yeah. So after the protest, um, I went there. Basically, what they did is they had this town hall meeting. So there was chairs. There was about 100 people you know, listening to the organizers of the protest talking about how they could take control of their rights. Okay, so these are not necessarily all of the people who were there to support the Hammonds, the, the ranchers who were going to prison. This is like a subset of that, even. It was fewer people than were at the original protest, definitely, but there were still about 100 or so people. So they were talking about how they could take hold of their rights and also how they could help the Hammonds further. While I was there at the meeting, um, some people from the audience got riled up and said, stop talking about the Hammonds, tell us why Amon Bundy isn't here, because the people expected him to be there. And they so people were like, where's Amon? Yeah, they, were, they wondered where he was, and it was kind of on the DL. Um, and then finally... That means down low for some of our <laughs> listeners. Finally, the president of the Idaho 3%, Brandon Curtis, uh, responded to them, and he said, 
we have news. This is coming out, but Amon, Amon Bundy and his brothers and some other people are taking a hard stand, um, meaning they had arms um, at the Malheur Wildlife Refuge, and they've occupied their building. They've seized control of the building there. So a lot of people from the audience were super upset. And so Brandon Curtis himself said, we feel like our protest has been hijacked. And he said it would not be pretty once he uh, saw Amon and his and his cohort. So in other words, it wasn't necessarily a concerted effort by all of the people who went to support the ranchers or even the people who went to talk about a bigger issue, which was their own personal rights or freedoms that they see the federal government getting into when it comes to ranching or something like that. Exactly. And also a lot of people from the audience expressed worry that the media would spin their original protest for the Hammonds into something that they were doing at the Malheur Wildlife Refuge as well. They didn't want to be connected with it at all. They really did not condone the actions of Amon Bundy and his cohort. Okay, so then you you called me. I was at home playing a video game. You called me, asked me whether or not you should go to the to the wildlife refuge, right? And um, of course, I, I thought you should go. It's sort of getting dark, I guess, by then. This wildlife refuge is about 40 miles away, roughly. So... So you got in the car, you went down there, and you're traveling with your boyfriend. So he's like kind of helping out. So we have this sort of ad hoc team of people heading from the fairgrounds to the wildlife refuge. And what did you see when you got there? Well, I was at first I was kind of worried about going there because these people obviously had arms. I knew that they had taken a, what Brandon Curtis called a hard stand. So I was kind of worried that they, you know, I would be in danger. But I thought, you know what, this is an important story, and it's something that we've been covering for a while, and. Um, people needed to know about it. So I went down there and uh, there was a white truck parked in front of this fence with an opening for the road, kind of blocking the road that went down to the wildlife refuge headquarters. Um, And I got there and I said, hi, like I'm from the media. Can I take your picture? Can I talk to you? And they said, we've gotten orders not to talk to any media unless it's our, our media spokesperson. And no, you can't take pictures. We're just standing here peacefully on all-American land. So we actually have some tape of you, Brooke, um, confronting these guys at the gate of the wildlife refuge. Uh, So let's just listen to that for a second. We're not blocking the road. This is all-American land, and it's all-American. Okay. Right? Do you guys mind if I take pictures out here? Uh, Out here? Yeah, you're... uh... Okay. You're, you're free. Okay. First Amendment, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's technically, <laughs> technically, it's a First Amendment for me to take pictures over there too, because right. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So. Okay. So, what were you thinking in that moment? Were you afraid? You sound kind of afraid. Um, I think I was kind of unsure of myself, but I thought, okay, these guys are constitutionalists, and um, in the First Amendment, it says there's freedom of the press and they said that they had the right to be on public land because it's public. And so I was like, well, if it's public land, why can't the press be on there too? There's laws that say that you can take pictures of people as long as you're taking pictures from public space. So I said, well, actually, I can take pictures. And so they said, oh, you're right. Um, so I went ahead and hung out with them around the fire and took pictures. Uh, they had they 
were chopping down some of the signs in the area. One sign said Overlook Trail, and another sign was pointing to the refuge headquarters. Yeah, Go so ahead. this is like before the the massive influx of reporters and 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 people coming in to do interviews and take pictures, right? There weren't there wasn't that gaggle of reporters there. Right. At the time I I had I was the only one there and called a reporter from Oregon Public Broadcasting to let her know what was happening as well. Yeah, so I was there alone with these people, obviously with my partner as well. So I didn't feel too unsafe. Um I was Bodie, the only who's woman. like the most mellow guy I've ever met. How did he do? He actually was my partner was actually very helpful. He's really great at interacting with people who maybe have different ideals than he does. And I actually got a question by one of the protesters about my political ideas and all of that. I, you know, kept mum about those ideas, of course, because I'm a reporter and I was trying not to get that involved. Um, But he was really good at, you know, interacting with them as a guy because that's what they all were. All of the people there were men. I was the only woman there at the time. These guys are basically vandalizing signs to like feed their fire so that they can stand guard in front of this national wildlife refuge. Is that right? Yeah, they chopped, they took a chainsaw to a few signs and uh, fueled their fire with them. And uh, so I got a few pictures of that. Uh, there were also, you know, there was also a fire tower in the distance where um, a guy had walked back from it at one point and he said, Oh, I couldn't like get up to the, there's no ladder up to the f- second tier. And he said, I couldn't get up there, which made me think, oh, there's probably people up there, you know. By the next morning, actually, they had built a ladder out of wood to get up to the fire tower more easily. You're listening to West Obsessed, a new series featuring journalists from High Country News in collaboration with KVNF. We're here talking about the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge occupation. And we're here with Brooke Warren, the associate designer of High Country News, who was behind the scenes at the beginning of the occupation. And so during the course of this time that you spent with them, which was a few hours basically at that night, um, did you kind of get a sense where you, were they, were they scary? Were they just kind of, were they serious? What sort of sense did you have from them? Yeah, as I was hanging out with them around the fire, um, they obviously didn't want to say much about their occupation because um, they had t- been told not to talk to the media. But the, it was a little bit frightening because, you know, these men had large weapons. Um, I'm not very uh, well versed on what kind of weaponry things are but basically I, assault rifles yeah assault rifles they had very large weapons assault rifles um and there was a few times like i walked away towards the 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 fire tower to look down on the on the buildings which there's about you know it's it's a conglomeration of buildings there's multiple buildings it's not just one visitor center um to look down upon it and see how many cars were there and whatnot um, and a man actually followed me out there. I never got touched or anything, but, you know, they followed me and made sure I wasn't going to do anything. Um, what, like occupy a wildlife refuge? Yeah. So, <laughs> but I didn't feel super unsafe because I knew that if they did anything to me, they'd have a bigger problem on their hands. I was also felt pretty safe because they kind of just seemed like guys just wanting to play army. Like, they were just making... We're just like out for a weekend with each other, like, you know, playing army. And that was kind of part of the sense that I got, which was interesting. And there were people ranging from mid mid to late 20s to, you know, 40s and 50s. Um, so there was definitely a big age range of men there. And I mean, I guess, you know, after you left, the rest is a little bit history at this point, because 
you know, a national story sort of erupted out of this, and a lot of commentary has come out of it, and and what it means, and how kind of ridiculous they are, and they're getting made fun of online, and there's a lot of stuff happening. But I think what's actually really interesting is that they're they're a part of something bigger. They they are pretty extreme. Um, you know, one of my friends told me that um, when the Oath Keepers are calling you out of control, you know you're really far out there. We should explain that there there are groups that really don't like the federal government. They really feel very strongly about their personal freedoms. And this is tied to just this really interesting, bigger story. And uh, Tay, I want you to talk a little bit about that because there's really kind of an economic story at work here, I think. And I also think that there's a little bit of this sort of post 9-11, post recession kind of feel to this that wasn't there before. It's kind of a little bit related to the election of President Barack Obama. It's a little bit related to, I think, this surge of far-right extremism, um, that kind of thing that led to the Tea Party. There's, there's, a, there's a bunch of stuff happening inside of this that I think is really interesting. And so maybe you could just explain a little bit the economics behind this kind of weird thing that's happening. What's, what's sort of causing this kind of anxiety, the kind of anxiety that would bring people to rally to the Hammonds, go to these meetings, or even join any of these groups? It seems to me there's, there's an economic story in the rural West that's kind of helping fuel this. Yeah, something that I've been um, looking into in recent months uh, is the community in Josephine County, Oregon, in, in Southern Oregon, and then also Clark County, where Clive and Bundy is from uh, in Nevada. Um, both of these counties have experienced a decline in their extractive industries, so that would be grazing in Clark County to some extent, and uh, timber in Josephine County. So that sort of sets the backdrop for some of these sagebrush rebellion uh, flare-ups that have been happening. In in Josephine County, there was a crash in timber in the 90s, but the recession that, that began in 2008 um, actually hit them even harder. And so um, it's uh, they're they're on hard times, and they have really tight budgets. And it was around that time, as as you also said, uh, President Barack Obama was elected, and we saw a huge increase in far right groups, um, sovereign citizens. Oath Keepers were founded in two thousand seven. So there is a backdrop of of hard economic times in some of these counties. Some of it, of course, is local choices, but some of it are these larger forces forces from the federal government that they feel like they cannot control. Um, so that's part of the reason why the Josephine County Oath, Oath Keepers chapter, for instance, has done really well. Now, um, in order to bring it back to Almond Bundy and, and, and his support of the Hammonds in Burns, Oregon, um, these groups that I'm that I'm referring to, what we've seen at High Country News is that they've forged um, a really formidable relationship with public lands users. So with ranchers like the Bundys and miners in southern Oregon, also miners in in Montana in Lincoln County. We saw that as well flare up last year. So that relationship has created a situation in, in which when there is a public lands dispute, let's say grazing rights or water rights on public lands, and a rancher wants to take his stand against the federal government, they can call on those groups. Whereas when High Country News was covering this 10, 20, 30 years ago, um, those those disputes may have remained local. They wouldn't have become national national news stories because there wasn't this plethora of right-wing groups who were also connected um, in online 
who are also connected in online chat rooms and by newsletters and uh, with social media. Now um, these groups will come together at the drop of the hat when someone puts out a call to action. So that's that's part of what we saw in Burns, Oregon with the peaceful protest, not necessarily the occupation which happened right after that, but we saw it in Burns, Oregon. We saw it at Sugar Pine last year, in Lincoln County last year, and also the biggest one was with Clive and Bundy in Nevada. Right, so we're going to, you know, keep an eye on this. This is, you know, obviously this is a part of a much bigger story. It's not just a small group of crazy guys in cowboy hats. I think there's a lot more to this. I think it's a really interesting story. I think it's going to keep developing. I mean, it's been developing for many, many years, um, but I think it's a little bit coming to a head. I'm Brian Calvert, Managing Editor at High Country News. I've been speaking with online editor Tay Wiles and associate designer Brooke Warren. Uh, They've both been covering the Sagebrush Rebellion. So we're going to keep an eye on it. And uh, thank you guys for being here. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, obviously now, 12 days in, the Malheur occupation has brought national attention to the relationship between the federal government and ranchers in the West. Our editorial intern here in Paonia, Bryce Gray, checked in with local ranchers in Delta County to give us their thoughts. Mark Rober and Robbie Lavalley are two of the many local ranchers who lease federally owned land for their cattle. How about their claims about, you know, federally held land being uh, shifted back to states or more local control? Uh, you know, does that resonate with you at all? Well, I think that's a, it's always a conversation that warrants conversation. I don't think it necessarily holds merit, but I do think, I do think that uh, the conversation is a good one to have just because we are so far removed from, from our federal government in D.C. that I don't really think they adequately take into account local concerns and local uh, needs of using those uh, public lands to both to you know really sustain our economy. You have to take a hard look at each state individually. Colorado water law uh, has a play in this. Who's to uh, say how they would be managed? Would it just be a legislative body? Would it be the voters because of our ballot initiative process? I mean, so every every state would have a hard look at this. And again, it's not something that should be done just because it sounds like it's the thing to do. Uh, the federal lands were set aside for a very specific purpose and uh, sustained yield was one of those purposes uh, that has to carry through. The majority of the the ranchers in this area and across the state of Colorado and across the West do work well with the Bureau of Land Management and the Forest Service. Uh, It takes a partnership, and it takes that partnership for both sides to work. When either one side or one particular use uh, d- determines that their use trumps every other use, that's where you start to have the conflict. So it, it's important to go back and say in, that there's not overreach on any one side and that we, c- you know, we know that we have, um, by proper grazing, we have improved large numbers of acres, millions of acres across the West. When you look at all of the data from the NRCS, their recent reports on the sage grouse. You know, millions of acres have been improved by appropriate management. So we know that that can be part of it when when we have the appropriate level of management. 
Uh, we also need that partnership with the BLM and for and the Forest Service, and for them not to overreach and start determining that one use should become the mitigation use for all other uses. And so that's where we tend to have the conflict. So as long as we can have that balance out there, uh, then that partnership works very well. You've been listening to West Obsessed, a new series featuring journalists from High Country News in collaboration with KVNF. This series will be looking into issues and stories coming out of the American West that grab our attention. I'm Brian Calvert, Managing Editor at High Country News. You can learn more about this story and others at hcn.org. And thanks for listening.